All right, well, good morning, Wells Branch Community Church. This morning, I would like to ask all of you to stand for a reading of scripture that Annabelle Richardson, who is 10 years old, is going to read for us uh, from the book of Mark, chapter 5, starting at verse 35. Annabelle, take it away. Seated. Thank you. Thank everyone. Get up for Annabelle. And if you are part of Treehouse Kids, you are dismissed to the Treehouse. So super excited. We are in the Gospel of Mark, which I love. The Gospels. It's the presentation of Jesus as King of Israel, and He is constantly presenting everyone with this opportunity to follow him and join. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing is presenting you an opportunity to make Jesus your king. And if you're like, mm, I don't know. Listen, we love questions. So you can uh, text me at 737-231-0605 or just go to pastorpleck.com. And we would love to walk through with you any questions. We talk faith, culture, and everything in between, whether we're talking about the book of Mark or any of the exciting things going on in our culture that's very polarizing. <laughs> we will talk about it all. There's no holds barred. Okay, but when we talk about Mark, the last week we talked about how Jesus is constantly uh, confronting our fear of the world with our faith in him. I had a, um, an old friend of mine, uh, he was a cop, and uh, he kind of was a guy that would, no matter what the problem was, he would always make it about fear. Like, what are you afraid of? Like, you know, like, I just don't know what I should eat right now. I'm having a, what are you afraid of? You know, I, I'm not really sure if I want to, but what are you afraid of? You know, no matter what, if, and if all you have is a hammer, everything you see is a nail, right? Like that's kind of how he was. But it, what I found was that it was really true that when it comes to faith, the opposite of faith is fear. And I was looking for a way to kind of really fully illustrate this. And a lot of you know that I went to West Point, the military academy, as a, an 18-year-old. And I thought it would be like, you know, I've been varsity sports. I mean, how hard can this be, right? Like, what do you, you know, people are yelling. People yell all the time. And it wasn't until I really was met with like, oh my gosh, these people are really upset about a lot of stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> and I was confused. I remember like, so, are you crying? I'm like, no, I'm just adjusting my contact. You know, I was like, it was a mess. Uh, and I remember that first night going, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I just know I'm not going to quit tonight. You know, that was, that was about it. And one of the ways I could best illustrate sort of the fear or of like kind of what it was like is um, as a freshman, uh, you, you were issued a robe. 
And I know this seems ridiculous, but you weren't allowed out of your room. Uh, you know, you couldn't just walk around in T-shirt and shorts or, you know, your underwear or whatever. You had to go everywhere properly clothed and you tie a knot and you tuck this in just like that. Okay. And everywhere you went, it was very formal. And the plebes or the freshmen wore this uniform, which is always delight. And in New York, I don't know if you know about this, it gets cold. And so like 30 degree weather, you have this teeny little robe to go walk through the halls, which was like sort of open air hallways. So it'd be like Arctic and you'd be like, run, you know, going as fast as you can. And you'd walk at the speed of shin splints uh, because uh, you, as a freshman, you weren't allowed to enjoy your stroll down the hallway or walk outside. It was very like you go to point A to point B and you couldn't do something called falling out. Falling out would be like walking like a normal person. And so there was a lot of fear involved. And when the big day that we were all waiting for as freshmen was recognition day. And recognition day was something like you would dream, like literally have dreams about. It was just too good to be true. And, and it happened at spring break. So, you know, you go, you, you arrive at West Point in June. So you go June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February, March. So essentially nine, 10 months of arduous pain and torture. And then one day you get to don the other robe. I know this seems like a ridiculous, but just trust me, it was a big deal. And so you, this robe went away and it didn't matter how hot it was, you would wear this robe because you were now recognized and uh, it was a really beautiful and sweet thing to wear. And I'll never forget this one day that all of a sudden, I, I just, I don't know what it was. It was a couple weeks after I'd been recognized, I was literally wearing this robe. You still have bleach stains, that's how much this thing's been loved. And I was walking out of my room and I was pinging, which is where you walk that walk at the speed of shin splints. And all of a sudden I realized, why am I walking as if I'm unrecognized? It's this total, like I was walking in fear. It was like PTSD or something. I was, and I looked down, I was like afraid, oh, should I even be wearing this? Oh, and I had to like do a cognitive recall of the day that I had been officially recognized and that this had actually happened. I had, re even though I was fully recognized by the Corps of Cadets, I had reverted back to the way I used to be, which is a life of fear. And I'm willing to bet that a lot of us, we've been walking with God, we've been recognized as a child of God, but somehow we've reverted back to the way that we used to live that's not free and isn't about Jesus. It's about something else. And so I want to go through that of what, it, what are the things, and again, we talked about this last week, but I want to talk about it again this week. What are the things that lead us back to fear and not faith? And I think, just to be honest, I think one of those is, is just the fact that we're dealing with we're feeling like we're not worthy. You can feel like you would say, if you would have known what I did last night, or you would have known what I did last year, or you would have known all the stuff, and it came out, then all that shame would be put back on me, and I would feel not worthy. And I want to help you walk by faith and not fear, even in that. Or how about you just look at your situation, you look at your circumstance, maybe it's your finances, maybe it's your relationship, and you'd say, no, the situation is completely hopeless. There is no it's going to get better. There is no, it's going to be all right. Or maybe it's, you're just tired of Christianity. 
and uh, you've, you've deconstructed your faith. You're like, listen, uh, I appreciate uh, all you people that try to control my life with this Jesus character, but I want no more of that. Uh, Jesus is just another man. It's just another story. And let's stop with the superstition that's trying to control everyone's worldview and lives. And let's just get back to the facts of what it is to be human. Stop playing with my emotions. I, th- I think if, we, if we're honest, that's what the fear does. Fear takes us to those places. And so this morning, we're gonna watch how the gospel of Mark addresses this with three different pericopes. Okay, the word pericope is a fancy churchy word for story uh, about a particular person. We're gonna walk through that starting in Mark 5. And let's pray and ask God to open up our hearts to reveal to us how to walk by faith and not by fear. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing to speak the word of God into our lives and into our hearts. We need you, Jesus. God, I know right now there's a lot of stuff that's been built up that almost prevented some people from even being here. And there's a lot of friction, a lot of frustration, a lot of angst. And God, I'm praying that you would help us overcome the fear with the faith, whether that is about in our own self and the shame that we feel or in our circumstances, it just feels like it's too much. That Jesus, you would be the God who is and the king of every situation. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. All right, so we're picking up in Mark 5. Last week, we talked about the demoniac who had been, uh, he had like a legion of demons inside him. And uh, Jesus goes to heal him. And then he, after his healing, he sends him to go reach the Decapolis, the 10 cities of the Gentiles on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And then he gets back in a boat, heads back to the west side. And so here we go on the west side. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, west side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. Now, watch this. I, this, is, this is a big deal. Because remember, in a day where... Uh, Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. He's presenting himself as king. When there is a synagogue ruler, a leader of the synagogue, he comes and falls at Jesus' feet. This is no small thing. This is a big deal. This is a guy that was known by people. Uh, He had a whole community of people known by him, and he is essentially assenting to Jesus is the Messiah by falling at his feet. And so what would cause him to do that? And he implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter, and I love that, my little daughter. And I don't care, you know, we find out she's 12. I don't care how old they are. They're always your little daughter. My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, be made well and live. And I love this little in-between verse here. And he went with him. Now, what Jesus could have done, Jesus could have been like, hey, stop worrying about it. She's already taken care of, it's healed. Or uh, Jesus, you know, could have said, go bathe in the river. He could, have, he could have said, do a whole bunch of things. But he says, I'm gonna walk with you because I think there's something that Jairus needs to learn from Jesus, all right? So here comes this man, he's distraught, he's at, on the, 
on the floor before Jesus, begging him to come. Jesus says to come, and he does, and he goes with him. And then, of course, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. We need to use the word throng way more. All right. And it was this massive horde of people all surrounding Jesus. And there he was. Now, Something weird happens in the text. It almost feels like they inserted something out of nowhere. But uh, how many of you guys can binge watch a show maybe in one night? If, like, where are my Stranger Things people? You guys, okay, yeah. All right. So you guys um, uh, really get this, is that there's a scene shift. It's the same, same picture, but it's a different scene. So you're in the center of the crowd, and the, the, the camera moves to the outside of the crowd, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, which is a really weird thing to shift the camera to. I mean, in general, we don't talk about menstrual cycles of women from on stage. It's just odd, just things you don't talk about. Uh, but here it is. It's in the Bible. So there, we're talking about it. And so here it goes from this high uh, religious ruler, leader, and then a woman who has a menstrual problem. Now, why that's a problem? Leviticus 15 says those people are not allowed to be around other people. They are considered unclean. And so here she is on the outside where she should be, who should not be on the inside because clearly she's got something wrong with her that makes her not worthy of anything godly. We keep the secular things separate from the sacred. And not only that, she had suffered much under many physicians. And I don't know if you've ever suffered under the care of physicians or sought a second opinion and a third opinion and then everything that they tried to do not, did, did not make it better, but made it worse. And she spent all that she had. So now she's in physical ruin, she's in financial ruin, and she is... A woman that is like, at this point, has got nothing to lose. And she was not better, but rather only grew worse. And she heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. And then this is so cool. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. Do you know what this is? Superstition. You guys know this, right? There are no magic cloths, right? We, we know that. But she didn't know that. This is folk theology. Folk theology creeps into every religion somewhere. And you, she made up her own version of Jesus because she was so desperate. She's like, I, I just know what I need to do. I'm going to get near him. And the goal is I'll touch the frame or the edge of his garments. Bam, I'll get the healing and I'm out. Because the one thing she didn't want to do was be exposed she understood where her lot in life was. She wasn't a center of the crowd person. She was a marginalized person. And so she had to go where Jesus was, away from where anyone knew her. She had to kind of assert herself to the middle of the crowd, silently creep in, like infiltrate. And, you know, this is kind of, where are my military people? This is it infill? Like she's going to get in there, infiltrate, touch exfiltrate and everyone, no one's going to be the wiser. She'll get her healing. She'll get out. She's not going to cause any more trouble. She, she understands she is not worthy of the healing, but I need some magic power because I'm, I got nothing left. Now she touches it and immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So she's like, woo, woo. Now it's time for me to get out of here. But there's a problem. 
Jesus, perceiving himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, hey, who touched my garments? <laughs> Which you just got, I mean, just picture this. It's like, think about like being um, uh, down, crowded downtown, think South by Southwest or uh, a, a crowded music venue and everyone's pressed in uh, around each other and Jesus like, whoa, 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 who touched me? And there's Jairus, he's sitting there, okay, listen, I get it, we my, my daughter, and we need to keep going. And everyone's like sort of lo- looking at Jesus in this odd way, like, who t- I mean, come on, man. In fact, the disciples go, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? <laughs> I love like, like, this is such a weird moment. Like, and then I love verse 32. This is, this is the great call to this woman because he stops and he's not moving forward. And he looked around to see who had done it. Now you know, and I know, that Jesus knew who had done it. But he's giving an opportunity. Who touched me? Who was it that may have had this issue of, you know, a certain situation going on and you touched me? Who was it? And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. Why? Why would she come in fear and trembling? Because she, even though she is healed, is still wearing the old truth of who she was. She's got complete healing, but she doesn't know why. She just thinks she touched some magic garments. And now it's going to come out. Maybe he'll take it away. Maybe if the reality of her situation comes out, Jesus might undo the beautiful thing of healing that he's done because he doesn't work with marginalized, unwanted people. He only takes those that are rich and powerful like Jairus, the, the, the rich synagogue leader. But we're going to see that that is not the case, but this is actually for her good. She came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I have been with this disease for 12 years, this issue of bleeding, and I went everywhere and I lost everything and I came and I just wanted to touch you and I know that I could be healed. And he said to her, daughter, I love that daughter, like this intimacy. I mean, she's a grown woman. She might even be older than Jesus. And he's like, daughter, your faith has made you well. Not the garments. That's superstition. That's folk theology. Your faith in me is what has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed. Be continued to be healed of your disease. And she finds freedom in that. Because she learns that it's not magic that sometimes works of touching garments, but faith in Jesus who never fails. In other words, faith overcame fear and made the woman well. I I was looking again, like, you know, this happens in our Christian walk a lot. We we put on Christ. We're we're recognized as children of God, but but for some reason, there's a part of us that goes back to who we were because it's just been built in. It's trained in. Uh, do you guys know Jeff Mitchell? He's one of our community group shepherds, and, and he came to faith. In fact, first service, he sat right there. It was way more fun when he was in here. Uh, he does a lot of dancing and singing, and he and I get along very much when it comes to worship. I, I, I resonate with him. Uh, but he, 
2017, he came to faith uh, at work, working in a, selling a, you know, a security system for people. And uh, his coworker was a member of our church and, and through a lot of communication, a lot of effort, he led him to faith in Christ. And I don't know if you know what happens to people when they first get excited about Jesus. They're like all in. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like all, all in. It's like, where do you want me to be? I'll be at that prayer meeting. What else? Evangelism? Let's go knock on doors. Tell people about Jesus. Do you need me to go help out the homeless? I'm helping out the homeless. Do you need me to go do And he was everywhere, all at once, all the time. In fact, I'll never forget coming to an elder meeting, which we had at, uh, back then at 6 a.m. And it was like 5, like 45. And there was Jeff sitting outside the, the church on the, like right here on the um, sidewalk praying. Like it was like, I was like, bro, it's like 545. How long you been here? Like, just an hour. Just want to lift this church up before the Lord. I'm like, all right, we're going to a meeting now. And I'm sitting there going like, this is intense. This guy's got it. And you know what happens when you start congratulating people? You're like, way to go. All of a sudden, the person feels like they have to keep that up or else you're not going to get any more applause. And this, this is the curse of like being an encouraging person. It's like you can encourage someone and they're like, oh, the only reason he likes me is because I do this thing. And you're like, oh, gosh. All right, so what happened is uh, that he started to believe that the only reason that he was able to do this is by his, or his acceptance was based on all the things he had done. And so he went back to his old habits to maintain what he'd been doing, and that was meth. So the meth helped him get up for prayer meetings. The meth helped him have energy to go evangelize at night. The meth helped him go for a full work day. And nobody knew. Until one day after a, a message was preached about repentance and forgiveness and you know, the, the true authentic meaning of the gospel, he called, I'll never forget this, it was a Monday night, he calls me up. And in 2017, it was a lot of screaming, sleepless nights with little babies. Um, and he's like, I need you to come over to my house right now. I'm like, man, I can, I can be there from the phone. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but he g- gathered together a bunch of uh, men of the church and they all gather at Jeff's house and, and Jeff's like, I'm gonna confess something to my wife. And we're like, oh man, what is it gonna be? And he's like, I have a meth problem and I've been using uh, and abusing drugs and I, I wanna change, which everyone's like, way to go. Unless you were his wife, Liz, you're like, oh man, I've heard this one before. And what he said was this, is like, listen, the thing that I've learned is a confession to God, 1 John 1, 9, if you, we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Confession to God equals forgiveness. And then James 5, 16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. So I said, I've come and I've asked everyone to pray over me, to hold me accountable. I need healing. And I know it comes through the power of prayer. And I know it comes through uh, me being a part of a body where I'm held accountable. And so any one of you can, uh, at any given time, can ask me for uh, a drug test and I will perform it on FaceTime. And there's no questions asked. I want to be made well. And I have faith that my God can do it. And so I'm not sure whose faith was greater, Liz and in believing it again or in Jeff's for walking that out to bring everybody in to walk with him. But he hasn't used drugs since that night. And he leads that community group and he leads people in faith and he walks people through um, what it is to get clean, to get sober, but to ultimately trust Jesus a whole lot more. I think that's where 
when you look at your worthiness, it's not based on performance, it's based on Jesus, and it always will be. Anytime you start wrapping your own value into your performance, you will always be less than, and you will always go back to who you were. Look at verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Now, you got to imagine this. Jairus just saw this healing. This woman proclaimed that she had been healed, sat through the whole testimony. I'm sure as she was talking, he was like, wrap it up, sister. We got to get this thing. You know, there's a lot of tension, a lot of pressure. My daughter is dying. We need Jesus. And then his worst fear is confirmed. As soon as that woman gets her healing, he now has to wait because Jesus ran out of time. And you can just feel like his heart drop. I mean, that's this baby girl. And Jesus overheard what they said. And then here comes like the thrust of this entire message. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Can we do a quick Greek, Greek lesson? Here it is. Me, phobu, mono, manon, pisteve. All right, so here it is. If you want to like, me, phobu, manon, pisteve. Here we go. That's, that's the, the, the word. In other words, this word, this comes from the word pistis, which means faith. Phobo, which, which you guys know, like phobia. I have arachnophobia. I have agoraphobia. You're probably not here if you have that. But anyway, uh, phobo, it's fear. So don't fear only, manon, only faith. Don't fear only faith. Don't fear only faith. And when you face the circumstance that is impossible, the word that Jesus gives to you is don't fear only faith. And he, he allowed no one to follow him, Jesus did, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly, which you could appreciate this. And in the Middle Eastern culture, like today, like when I was in Iraq and, and doing war and people would die, there would be people like crying, putting dirt on their head, screaming at the top of their lungs. And there's something actually really comforting about that. Have you ever, like, if you've experienced death or like that doom, if you've ever been broken up with, if you've ever lost your job and you walk out and there's other people being chipper, it's very annoying. It's like, hey, how's it going today? Uh, my whole life just ended, thanks. You know, like it's just, it's hard to kind of put, juxtapose those moments, right? And so what you would do in that day is you would tell all the family, they would come and then you'd hire people, extra mourners to come in to help sort of create the ambiance of everybody's life is over so that you could properly feel and lament the pain. We, that's probably one area of life that we don't do very well is lamentation, but they were champs at it. But there's a problem with that. When he entered, he said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed. <laughs> like, like, what? How do people go from weeping and wailing to laughing? I mean, that, that's just like rude. Well, that's because they were hired 
That's the rent-a-friend people that were brought in to weep and wail so that this, this thing would be... And so they, they know. You don't get hired as a, you know, hey, hey so what, what's your career? Well, I'm actually a mourner. I come in whenever you have a bad day, and I make it look like it's the worst day possible for you so nobody can enjoy the day. I put some good screams in there. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I can put up like a decibel level that's up there. You're not going to beat me beat me on that. That's probably the way their advertising worked. And they start laughing because it's not personal. But for Jesus, this is very personal. And he put them out all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. I mean, it's, I love that they give us the exact phrase. A lot of times with Jesus' words, you get kind of like a paraphrase. But right here, it's Talitha Kumi. The exact words. Little girl, to you, I say to you, arise. And immediately, the girl got up and began walking. And I love this. For she was 12 years of age. Same amount of time that the marginalized woman had been spent suffering. Same amount of time that the very important, very uh, privileged uh, ruler of the synagogue had spent loving his daughter. And so here's what I learned about this. The people that are wealthy and the people that have nothing both suffer. Good and evil both fall upon the just and the unjust. It just happens. We've all experienced it. And I love that Jesus, or the scriptures pull out the fact of this 12 years that sort of link the woman with the issue of bleeding and this father who had lost her daughter. And they're immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Just a random look. Make sure she gets fed. In other words, faith overcame fear and a father got back his daughter. And if there's anything in our culture that I feel like we pray and we're, if you're a parent, you understand this. If you're not, uh, it's hard to understand. Like I didn't really realize how much my parents loved me until I had my kids. I was like, oh, wow, they really did care. It wasn't just because they were trying to control my life and had some sort of draconian you know, worldview of control. Huh, well, my bad. You know, like you kind of have those moments. Uh, and so all of a sudden it's, you just have this unbelievable love. And at our church, um, we have a, a woman, her name's Martha. And um, she is so sweet. And she started coming to our church back in 2019. She moved here with the rest of you from California in about 2019. And, uh, and, and she uh, came to me about the first couple of Sundays said, Pastor, Pastor, I need you to pray. Uh, I, my son has something wrong with him. I don't know if it's a demon. I don't know if it's drugs. I don't know if it's mental health, but he's punching through the wall. Sometimes he punches me and I'm gonna get evicted from my apartment. I need help. Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. And so we started praying and I said, let's pray for your son. We gotta go to Jesus every time. There's no amount of anything we can do apart from the power of Jesus. And she's like, okay, Pastor, okay, Pastor. And then she came back the following week and every week it seemed like things were getting worse and worse. In fact, one time she came and, she, and, and Joel, who had been involved in um, recovery from addiction for a long time, he, he's, he was talking to her and she said, I need you to come find my son. I kicked him out and I don't know if it was the right thing to do. I kicked him out because he was hurting me and I was gonna get evicted. And, 
And so he's in a homeless camp somewhere. Can you go search for him? And so I think Joel and Chris Bowers and others went searching through homeless camps all over Austin looking for this kid. Have you seen Jimmy? Have you seen Jimmy? No. 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 Austin's a big place with a lot of homeless people. Have you seen him? And eventually, uh, I would get to talk on the phone with Jimmy. I get to meet Jimmy, and Jimmy was just angry. And when I talked to him on the phone about, like, come home, we need to talk, we can get you help. I don't want your blank, blank, help. And every week, Martha would come, and she'd bring her prayer, and we'd pray over her, and we'd ask God to do a miracle, and we'd say, God, please operate. And there's moments I said, they're like, man, I don't know how this is going to change. I mean, I've... I've dealt with people in addiction. I've dealt with people like that get kind of thrust to the streets and it, there's no coming back. But God. And one night, um, it was a Saturday night. And Martha came up to the church. It was a Saturday night. Like why she came to the church? We don't do church on Saturday, but she just came to the church to pray because that's what the Lord called her to do. And uh, Dina, who cleans our uh, facility, was here and she let her come in and just, and she said, I just want to come before the Lord and pray. And she prayed here. There's no, nothing magical about these steps, by the way, in case you're wondering. It's just wood and this is an old bar. And so this is about as non-sacred as you could get. But <laughs> And she, she came and she prayed and, and she brought Jimmy with her. She just felt like she needed to bring Jimmy with her. And there was, she started praying and then Jimmy was out on the deck and he was talking to somebody. But Jim, she, Martha didn't concern herself with that. She just came before the Lord and she said, God, please, 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 God, do a work in my son. I can't, I don't know what to do. I love him so much. I don't know if when I bring him to my house, it hurts him because he doesn't, he just stays on the couch and he's just in, inundated with drugs and he hurts me and he, he, I can't provide for that. And then when he's on the streets, it just breaks my heart because I can't, I can't, it's my boy. God, it's my boy. And she cried out to the Lord. And after she was done, she went back outside and her son was just in tears, broken. Like, do you guys know what I mean by broken? Like spiritually broken? Like, oh, it, it hit. And she goes, I don't know who he was talking to, but somehow whoever that person was changed his whole view of the world and he wants to go to rehab now. And that was a couple months ago. And now I know that if you don't have a before picture, the after doesn't mean quite as much. But to me, this is like a miracle. Because here's Jimmy in rehab, enjoying his life with a smile on his face and his eyes are bright. And his eyes hadn't seen brightness like that for many, many years. And if you know what the beast of drugs and alcohol and mental health issues are, you know how hard it is for that to happen. That is death to life type stuff. And for a mama, there's like deep joy that makes you go, I will do anything to get my boy to look like that. And there comes this place of, do not fear, only faith. Do not fear, only faith. And I think what happens for, for, just for us sometimes is that we're like, man, I want to believe that good stuff, but you don't understand. I've seen too much on the flip side of God not coming through. In fact, Jesus saw it too. Jesus heads back to his hometown. He went away from there and came to his hometown. Who can tell me where his hometown was? Go on, somebody. 
Nazareth. All right, well, all right, we got some Bible scholars. Not, not very confident Bible scholars, but Bible scholars nonetheless. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And what you can't hear is the tone, because that could be like, wow, where did this man get these things? Or where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Which one is it? Well, you know, because the context tells us it's the latter. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? You remember, listen, I mean, I still use sugar packets on the table he made me. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. The son of Mary, the brother of James. And this is always a tricky name. Is it Joseph or Jose's? Because, you, you know, you don't really flip around your use of a J in English. That's really challenging here. But we say James, but we really say Jose. Anyway, it's a problem. And what about Judas and Simon? Okay, he's got brothers. And then what about his sisters? They're here with us, too. Like flesh and blood. We've known him. We know where he came from. I mean, listen, this is the part. And they took offense at him. And I get this. I remember when I became like on fire for Jesus and I, was, I wanted to go in the ministry. Uh, my, and I was like, but I, my life has changed so much, mom. She's like, you're still as selfish as you ever were. And I'm like, thanks, mom. You know. <laughs> but they took offense at him. And when you take offense at someone, you don't want... You don't want them to do the miracle. It's like, I, I'm so offended by you. Get yourself and your magical powers out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. You're offensive. I, you are not Messiah person. And maybe it's because they knew him too well. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except they laid his hands on a few sick people, which is weird because anytime you lay hands on a few sick people and heal them, I call that a big deal. And then he marveled because they're marveled because of their unbelief, which dropped off, which is sort of fitting, actually. Unbelief. Their unbelief is what they couldn't, he couldn't deal with. The fear overcame faith, and those closest to Jesus missed the Messiah. How could this be? This, this is the part I, I was sitting there and I was like, I guess the offense was so great that they didn't want any help that Jesus could offer. They were so offended. They, they heard Jesus, when he presents himself, he presents himself as king. And that's offensive. Especially in America, we don't really do kings. I want to vote you in and vote you out. And Jesus doesn't do well with that. He's like, I kind of come in, I'm taking over. I'm king whether you want me to be or not. It's whether you're gonna be on my team or not. And they missed it. And I was, I was trying to figure out what's a good way to sort of wrap your head around this. And I, and I think it might be this. Um, a guy that used to go to our church like uh, 10 years ago uh, was, as a young adult, was very involved in the ministry, very excited, loved Jesus, all that, uh, or at least it seemed like he did. Um, he posted on Facebook he was having some heart issues, and, uh, the, and he said, the one thing I miss about the church community, they were really great. They were the best at community. And I was like, wow, okay, well, 
I know he's, I know he hasn't been walking with God for a while, but maybe I can reach out. And so uh, I texted him this message. I said, insert name here. Hey, it's me. Um, saw your post, Facebook post uh, about your heart, praying for you, man. And although church community is flawed, it's still here. I have a men's group, meets at my house. would love to have you if you're ever up for it. And then this response came and sort of surprised me. It was a blank, no, dude. You took years of my life with your fairy tale manipulation stories. You are the problem with religion. Okay. If you ever see me again, Around Austin, keep walking. Do not attempt to talk to me. Your life is a lie. To which I was like, wasn't expecting that response. And I think what happens for us is that when you, we don't realize that when your whole life becomes about Jesus, it can become so offensive to those that it isn't about that. It becomes so dark and they become so dark, they can't see that the hope and the community that you're offering isn't to manipulate people into some sort of control, but to see the hope that there is a king who already has control. He has the whole world in his hands. Your life, my life, every part of life, the way that the sun rises and the sun sets, he is in charge of it all. And when we reject that, not only do we miss out on healing, not only do we miss out on just community, we miss out on the king. And so this morning, um, I really want us to wrap our, our head around this question of, of where you're at in your journey. Will you overcome fear with faith? Do not fear, only faith. And this morning, to sort of commemorate that um, it's what we do regularly. Uh, we'll take communion, Lord's Supper together. Because Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and then he broke it, said, this is my body given for you. In other words, your soul feeds on Jesus like your body feeds on this bread. That same night, he took the cup, wood for wine, glass for grape juice, and little wafer thingies in this with the little juice, juice box right over there for you if you're not in either one of these. But he took the cup and, and said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. This isn't magic juice. This is just wine. Probably you get better stuff at the gas station. But what it is, it's a symbol that Jesus' blood was shed for you that he loved you and he died on the cross for your sins. He rose from the dead and he said, come. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come. And so when we take communion, we remember that Jesus died on the cross for us, that his blood shed, that our life is in his death and his resurrection. And we have resurrection power living in us if we believe. So if you're not a Christian, this is something that Christians do, the whole thing of the Lord's Supper. But maybe today is your first day to step over that line of faith and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And if that's you, then my heart rejoices. My hope is that you would come to believe that he is the savior of the world and the savior of your soul. And you just pray something like this, God, I'm a sinner. Sin against you and my 
thoughts, in my words, in my actions. I'm not worthy to be your son, but you made me a child of God because your son Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. Holy Spirit, come into my heart, make me the person you want me to be. That's you, that's your prayer, and that's your hope. But if you've been a Christian and life got hard, maybe you're like Martha who's back here, right here. There you are, Martha. Can you just give me a wave? There you are. And you've had it. You've, you've, you've been, you're dealing with a Jimmy and it's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. And I need help and I need hope. And God, would you do something? Maybe you're just so overcome by fear that you're, you're afraid to pray. You're afraid that God will let you down. And like, what will happen if you put it all on the line? You put your full trust in Jesus. And what if he doesn't come through? And then what are you left with? My hope for you is you'd have no other place to go. And you'd see it, you'd recognize it, and you'd understand that everybody comes to Christ in crisis, whether that's an existential crisis, a financial crisis, an addiction crisis, relationship crisis, everybody comes to Christ in a crisis. And so we are reminded of his great love for us as Christians and why he forgives us over and over because we take the elements of communion and we are one with him because we're one with his body and we sing the songs of the church and we declare these things that are true and we cry out, thank you, Jesus. So let's do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, I'm so excited that you are still the God of the ages, that you specialize in doing things that are impossible. You make dead things live. You bring hope to the hopeless. You favor even the marginalized and those that have been under the suffering of many doctors. You bring dead to life. And God, I pray that somebody here for the first time would find their hope and trust in you and they would say, Jesus, save me. And you would. And they believe that you would die on the cross, you die on the cross for their sin, you rose from the dead. And Holy Spirit, would you enter into their heart? And maybe their first step of celebration of that is taking the Lord's Supper with us. And Jesus, I also pray that for those here that <clears throat> have been walking out the Christian life and it's gotten hard and circumstances are challenging, and it feels like we're we're always living in fear of the next whatever, whether it's something political or social media wise, or there's a great fear or whether it's our children or finances or whatever the fear might be, that we bring those fears to you and confess them and you would remind us to not fear, but only faith and that we would repent from our fear and we turn to you in faith. Lord, do a work this morning. Help us to name those fears so that you could tame them under your mighty power and our faith would be encouraged. Lord, we worship you this morning. And we're asking you to do more than we could ever hope for or ask. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.
situation, the crisis came, you said, I know this looks impossible. My Lord has got this. And you would say, all things work for the good of those who love him or called according to his purpose. And you would trust in Jesus. Imagine just for a second. What it would look like that, to take Jesus as who he says he is, to join the body of Christ in proclaiming his name and his fame, no matter what the circumstance, that he is Messiah. It would change you. It would change your family. It would change this church. And I'm telling you, it would change that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who love from a place of being loved, who perform not to be accepted because you already are. Go and do impossible, not by your own strength, but by the power of Jesus. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.